0: Well, certainly, you know, I mean, it's such a wonderful place to be. Uh, One only has to look round and, you know, take a walk up one of the little byways and uh, sit down on a stone and look across at uh, the wonderful vista.
1: The bubbling streams, the waterfalls, and when it rains, it's still beautiful because there's waterfalls coming out of everywhere. It's just amazing.
0: You get that wonderful view of Blencathra, wonderful ridges, and you see it and you've just got to go and climb it.
2: I think there are certain things you have to uh, learn that you're never going to get. And if you're expecting your mobile phone to work reliably, you know, you're probably pushing your luck a little bit, really.
0: Oh, yes. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or oh, vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils.
3: There's no doubt that people love the Lake District, and there are many who argue that it deserves more global recognition. Yet the things people rave about most in the Lake District have not so far guaranteed a place at the World Heritage table. Twice in the past, the Lake District has applied for, and failed to achieve, World Heritage status. Now they're trying again. Here's Mike Clark, the Director of the Lake District's World Heritage Project.
2: People would argue that while the Lake District is quite uniquely beautiful in the UK, it's not one of the most dramatic landscapes in, in Europe, for instance. And So you have to have an, a special story to go with it, really.
3: The job of telling that story is down to Mike Clark. Working alongside the Lake District National Park Authority, he's charged with drawing all the threads together in order to represent the Lake District's story.
2: The first opportunity we would have to go forward to UNESCO is until 2012 as the government has already uh, given slots to a number of places in the UK between now and then. So for us, our timetable is to have our documentation ready by the end of 2009, which we can then sort of hone and, and, and get right with the government over the following sort of six months and hopefully we will be the 2012 nomination.
3: The next step is to take it up to an international level.
2: Um, gets trickier once you get to the international stage. Once you get to the UNESCO stage, there are 24 different countries who make the decision. And um, I'm afraid when you get to that stage, you know, politics can play a big part, and, and lobbying and, and so on can play a big part. <laughs> it's it's uh, maybe a little undiplomatic of me to say, but I, I do actually describe it as the Eurovision Song Contest. I mean, it may depend on who we're at war with at the time, You know whether we go through, who we've upset, what countries are, are angry with the, the West. And... Uh, to, be, to be a little bit more fair to, to UNESCO, the, the West and the Northern Hemisphere of, of, the, of the globe does have uh, the majority of World Heritage sites and they're trying quite rightly to rebalance that and have more Southern Hemisphere sites come through.
3: The last two bids, in the 1980s, failed mainly because the landscape didn't quite fit any category. But in 1992, a new category was introduced, that of a cultural landscape. Susan Denier is Secretary of ICOMOS UK, which offers official advice on World Heritage Sites.
1: It was in many ways the failure of the Lake District bids in the 1980s that prompted the introduction of this new category, because the Lake District failed either as a natural site or as a cultural site, because it wasn't really either of those. And people realised that it was a, a fusion, a melding of the two and recognising not just its cultural values, but the way those cultural values were shaped by nature. So the, the cultural landscape category that came in in 1992 was in many ways tailor-made for the Lake District. Susan
3: Denyer is working with Mike Clark on the Lake District bid, offering guidance and support. As the team wrestles with the nomination document, one key point they must prove is that the Lake District has outstanding universal value – This is the acid
1: test of any bid. This is the one thing that sites must have to be on the list. In other words, they must demonstrate that somehow they've risen above local value and even national value to become sites of worth to mankind as a whole and sites that we all wish to transmit to future generations. So there has to be this demonstration that whatever property or site you're putting forward... It, it has that outstanding value that is recognised. And part of
3: recognising this outstanding universal value is getting to grips with the many layers of history that have influenced our perception of the Lake District.
0: In the valley bottoms you will see what is a medieval landscape because there are small fields with huge boulders and people have cleared the fields by hand, built smaller fields with dry stone walls and then they spread out with these smaller field systems. Terry McCormick of Voluntary Action Cumbria
3: champions the contribution that independent farming has made.
0: And then what you can see visually is that spreading out into the valley as a whole and up the sides of the hills. And then in the mid-19th century with the enclosure acts as they came through, big enclosures going right up into the fell and into the common land. So you get these until the mid-19th century. A lot of work was done up on the fell and people didn't come down to the farm for a week. Sometimes they were maintaining the flocks. It's a pastoral system. This is a highly populated landscape. It's much busier than it is now. We get all these people kind of coming into it, you know, nine to five. And then it empties out and then it's deserted. But when you read uh, and uh, look at the history of what was happening in these valleys uh, in the 16th century, or the 15th century,
1: they were just busy. I mean, what, in essence, the Lake District is about is this landscape shaped by farmers over many generations, back to the 12th, 13th century. This then is overlain by the discovery in the 18th and early 19th century of its picturesque and romantic qualities as being somewhere incredibly beautiful, but also rather noble in the way that the communities were living and managing it. The landscape of the Lake District
3: established what is still seen by many as the definitive spiritual poetic vista. One of the people who first interpreted it as such was the poet William Wordsworth. Jeff Cowton is curator of the Wordsworth Trust.
4: Before he'd come to Grasmere, the poems had been about, if you like, the ordinary man, um, the beggars, and, and the people he'd met in other parts of the country. But the subjects then become Lake District subjects. So if we think of landscape, the landscape that interests Wordsworth, are the human elements in it as well. It's the sheepfold in the landscape. So the ordinary man becomes Michael, the shepherd, for, for example. And the poems, are very descriptive in the names of places that they use. So it's not enough for Wordsworth to talk about, you know, in a valley, in some vague valley, but he talks about specifics. It's Greenhead Gill that he talks about. So you might wonder, well, how does somebody in other parts of the world, when travel was much more difficult, you know, what does that mean to them? But it's the names, it's the beautiful names, as he describes the ridges of hilltops and mountains. And from this point onwards, Wordsworth becomes, I guess, you know, the Lake District Poet.
3: And William Wordsworth was of course not the only great thinker to be inspired by the lakes. But even having world-ranking poets and artists on your side does not guarantee world heritage
1: status. The difficult thing is distilling all this. So it's not enough to say, well, this is uh, a place associated with some strong ideas that have had worldwide influence, but you can't actually see any evidence of those ideas in in, in the site or the landscape. In terms of World Heritage, what one has to be able to demonstrate is how the site manifests those ideas in a certain way, so that if you are or I go to the Lake District, we can get a sense and an understanding of why it's important, why it has outstanding universal value. The Lake District includes
3: a national park and a conservation area, so it already has some protection from unscrupulous development. On the surface of it, it doesn't seem to be under the same threat as some parts of the developing world. So it's important for the bid to acknowledge the aspects of the Lake District that are under threat. Jonathan and Cathy Hodgson are hill farmers.
0: Well, yeah, because there's hill farms going out of business every every year. Um, For instance, this farm, we used to drive from Ambleside to Windermere and through to this farm, to the land we had here, and there was... 14 farms on the way and now there's three or four so that's 10 farms in 20 years that have now disappeared and they're not going to come back again um, yeah I don't think farming's appreciated at all.
3: I, I work part-time at the school at Grassmere and the previous head teacher I mentioned once about the farming community and she said oh it's never dawned on me that Grasmere is a farming community village. But in the World Heritage bid, at least, the profile of farming is getting something of a boost. Terry McCormick has been working as an advisor
0: to Mike Clark on the importance of hill farming. That whole aesthetic, if you like, which is now regarded as beautiful, was actually, it's a beauty born of of silent labour of generations, which we don't often see. Handmade. Uh, This work was done by people. And I think the aesthetic aspect of this which is very much part of the cultural landscape, is rooted in, in those hundreds of decisions. And some of them are small decisions, the smallest decisions, you know. We're going to put that hedge there or that wall there, we're going to do this watercourse here. And I see that, that generational work as as like a a work of art, actually. I see the whole thing as a work of art, a complicated, very complicated work of art over five or 600 years. And that is what is precious, that's the treasure. Terry McCormick
3: felt that early enthusiasm for the bid focused too heavily on the picturesque and the romantic poets.
0: If you don't take on the hill farming thing and you just see it as a kind of post 1750 sort of romantic, and then layers of culture from there on, the actual making of the place and landscape that was interpreted by writers and artists will, will actually just uh, decline and will become, in a sense, dilapidated, you know, and people won't know that what they've lost. In order to succeed, the bid must
3: keep on board a bewildering mix of organisations concerned with anything from wildlife conservation to local politics. Consultation and listening are crucial, so Mike Clark has set up a steering group.
2: You know, you, you could have um, culture and heritage officer from Cumbria County Council um, at this, around the same table as someone from Cumbria Wildlife, for instance. Uh, if you've got a, a senior official of the NFU, they'll give you the farming perspective and so on. They're really there as, as this was the sort of check and balance for the project.
3: Even so, not everyone in the lakes is convinced of the need for World Heritage status. Within the tourism industry itself, there are some who are wary. I asked Ian Stevens, who's Director of Cumbria Tourism, what he thought of the bid.
0: Officially, our stance is the is out and... Uh, What we are concerned with is potential additional red tape and potential delays that um, perhaps would occur in the planning system or would occur in getting things done. Um, And uh, people in the business world are sceptical or suspicious of bureaucracy additional red tape. So if we can... Uh, work together to make sure that the negatives of any bureaucratic regime is in, comes to being are reduced to the minimal. I think the benefits then would 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 outweigh the any any disadvantages.
3: In other parts of the local community, there's a different set of concerns.
2: One of the worries people have is that World Heritage is some sort of super brand that will attract a whole new raft of tourists. Uh, it's not really been proven that World Heritage status brings new tourists. The Lake District itself is a super brand in the UK, it's the second most well-known brand. I think what we have is an opportunity to use World Heritage to change the profile of our visitor, to encourage people maybe to stay a little bit longer, to explore a little bit further afield than the the honeypots of Windermere and so on. You'd hope that if people come because it's a World Heritage site, they're going to be a bit more environmentally aware, more interested in the heritage of the place, get out and about and explore. And I really don't believe, and it's certainly not something that's going to open the floodgates.
3: There are still many hurdles to jump, but Mike Clark is convinced of the benefits of World Heritage inscription should the bid be successful in 2012.
2: I think what it primarily will give us is this international recognition. You've got 185 nations who form UNESCO, who signed up to the International Treaty for World Heritage, the Convention, and you're getting the recognition of those 185 nations that you do have outstanding universal value, what you have is special, what the people of Cumbria have made, have created for the world is special and, and needs to be maintained. And I think what you do with them with that recognition is completely down to you. And primarily, it, it's that confidence building that it gives you. I think the World
4: Heritage bid is a very appropriate and, and just recognition for what it is. It, it is entirely a cultural landscape, not just the building and the people, but the walls, the fields, the quarries. All around, you've got the work of man that is a history. And a heritage that that needs preserving. And the more that we can do that in a managed way has to be, in my mind, a good thing.
0: From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward use.